0: Thanks David, and thank you guys for coming to share in this worship time this morning. We are so glad that you are here, whether you meant to wear an ugly sweater or not. We are glad that you are here. And as was mentioned earlier, next Sunday is going to be a very special time for us. Again, if you have young children, uh, pajamas are the clothing of choice next week. And so, kiddos, uh, make sure you come in the pajamas. We will not be having Kids Praise and We Worship, uh, where our young ones just went off to. That will not be taking place next week. Uh, We will all be together here, and we will uh, be here for about an hour. I know that um, there are a lot of different family events that go on, uh, especially on Christmas Day, and uh, you're trying to plan out your schedule. We'll we'll meet in here at 10 o'clock, and we should be wrapping things up around 11. And we encourage you to come and and to um, wear your pajamas, kiddos. And for those of you who are older, I want you to um, take I want you to take a cue from our, our um, Yak group and the Marcuses, and I want you to wear your ugly sweater next week. All right? This is your opportunity. I mean, I know you've got one. I know you've got one for that Christmas party that you went to this year, and it was the ugly sweater Christmas party. And again, if you just need a little encouragement, Chris, go ahead, just stand up. I know you don't mind. There we go. Right? Looking good. Even got EB Yak on the back of the sweater, so that is great. If, uh, if you've got something that your Aunt Addie made for you, if you'd like to bring that out, you know, something that she crocheted that, you know, you haven't, it hasn't seen the light of day in years. I mean, it smells like mothballs. Just go ahead and bring that puppy out, and you, you sport it, and you wear it proud next week as we come together and, uh, and as we worship. You see on the screen, it says, why Christmas? And it's a little bit of a... Multiple meaning question that we've been walking through over the last few weeks. Uh, maybe you're wondering why, why Christmas. Maybe you're wondering why a big deal is made each and every year about. A child and about this whole Jesus thing and it's why does everybody get, get so upset when instead of saying Merry Christmas, people say Happy Holidays and, and you see people that get, get really, it seems like sometimes fighting mad and you watch some of the different television coverage or the news coverage and you, you see that, that you hear people talk about, well, there's a war on Christmas and others are going, I don't see what the big deal is and maybe you're just going, why Christmas? I don't, I don't get it. Maybe you see where you are right now in your life. And, and maybe 2016 has been a difficult year. Uh, Steve talked about how that others has been a focus within our church family. But maybe for you, maybe you are that other. Maybe you've been that other this year. And you have felt like that you have been marginalized. You've been felt as if you have been pushed to the side. You've been felt as if, as if no one has, has listened Maybe you've been the one that has been alone because you have had to say goodbye to a loved one. You have had to, to deal with, with that, that ultimate parting. And it's just been so hard and it's just been so painful. And Christmas was always such a special time for you and your family. And now because there are family members who are gone, you're just wondering why Christmas this year? Let's just, let's just put everything away until, until next year. Or, or maybe, maybe you say, what, what's the big deal about, about this whole Jesus celebration? Because, I mean, after all, you, do, you don't read about it really in, in Scripture where those early Christians celebrating the birthday of Jesus Christ and, and, and maybe you are raised in a church heritage where, where that wasn't necessarily a big thing. Now, for those of you who grew up in a, in a, in a church background that, that Christmas was, was a big, big deal, to hear me say that there are some in our midst this morning who grew up in a religious setting that did not place a special emphasis on December 25th and on Christmas at all might sound really strange to you. Wondering, well, how, how come Christians wouldn't make a big deal about the coming of the one that they follow? What is that? need to understand that, that that there are some people who are here this morning even that are maybe a part of our church family or at least a part of our church heritage and churches of Christ that that seeing the seeing this manger scene up here is it's it's a little off-putting because it's not something that they grew up with it's not something that's a part of their heritage within the churches of Christ, the DNA of of those who would follow after Jesus, the DNA there with the, these people with us, it's that we look for an example of the disciples in the New Testament, a command of our Lord, and and if it's not something that we find there, we, we have tried to shy away from it, even though we haven't always been consistent. And so that's why that really up until the last decade or so, for the most part, churches of Christ have not really made a big deal around Christmas time. And last week, I kind of pulled the curtain aside and told you a little bit about me, how that even as I was growing up, I wanted to be distinctive and wanted to be able to tell people, hey, listen, you know, Jesus wasn't really born in December. He was probably born in the spring. And there's nothing in the Bible that says we need to celebrate Christmas. And I had all this distinctiveness, but I was a terrible witness for the Lord. And there have been others who have come to me since last week and said, you know what? I grew up in that same church, even though we weren't together. So I grew up in that same place. I grew up singing Christmas songs in July because we didn't cel- sing them in December, because we didn't celebrate Christmas, because our churches tried to be d- distinctive. And even though we weren't always consistent, we borrowed other things from other religious groups, and, and we, we, would, we would have big Mother's Day celebrations, even though that wasn't in the Bible, and, and we would have Sunday school, and we worships, even though that wasn't in the Bible. But for some reason, Christmas was one of those we just kind of sometimes shied away from, and... It wasn't something that we put a lot of, of focus and emphasis on because our desire for distinctiveness won out over our desire for worship and for mission. And in some ways, it, our desire for distinctiveness became so strong that you would think that some of our congregations would start going in the back door instead of the front door because other religious groups use the front door to go in. And we want to be different. We want to be distinctive. And so you may be... Maybe there's people out here this morning going, yeah, I don't, I don't get it. Why, why Christmas? I don't, I don't really understand. And so what we're trying to do then during this month is just, we're just trying to answer a question that has been on the hearts and minds of many people in many different, different ways. And last week, as we looked to answer this question, we said, why Christmas? And it was because we get to see Jesus. And what we're trying to do here, especially with our young people, we're trying to raise worshipers. And we're trying to raise young men and women who are eager to tell the story of Jesus in all of its beauty and in all of its glory. And one of the highlights of our uh, church calendar is when we have our nativity presentation and our members of our children's ministry get to participate in that. And, And this year, if you weren't here for that, I tell you, you missed an awesome nativity story And it was even more special than usual because usual, Jerusalem the donkey comes in the door over here to my left and you're right, but because it was raining, Jerusalem had to come in the back door. Yeah. And so the donkey had to come all the way down and and everybody was like, oh, I hope the donkey's feeling good. That was a great time, and it was a great story to be able to tell. And why? Because we get to see Jesus. When we tell the Christmas story, you get to see Jesus. And the, those wise men that we looked at last week were so excited because the star that was shining in the sky, it stopped over the house where Jesus was. And the text says that they were overfilled with joy, and they had joy to the max. Why? Because the star was carrying them to see Jesus. And he say, why make a big deal on a Christmas? It's because I need to be reminded of what Jesus is and who Jesus is. And I need to be reminded of where Jesus is. And in a world today that seems to be trying to remove God more and more from our sight, shouldn't it be the disciples who shine the light even brighter? And so we used uh, looked at a passage of scripture last week, and I wanted to put it up again for those of you who again have have wondered why is this such a big deal It's from Romans chapter fourteen and, and Paul was talking about ways in which believers look at different different days and different feasts and different times and he says this, In the same way, some think that one day is more holy than another day, while others think every day is alike. You should be fully convinced that whichever day you choose is acceptable because those who worship the Lord on a special day do so to honor Him. And so we encourage you to come back next week as together we join in in hearts and minds and in song and communion and we offer up our worship. And remember, Jesus. When we try to answer the question today, I want you to open up your Bible to. I want you to open up your Bible to the uh, the first gospel, it's in your New Testament. It's Matthew, the very first book that's in your New Testament. You see, there are four accounts to the life of Jesus that are given in your Bible. And it's better to think of the Bible as being a collection of books or manuscripts. It's not just one whole book, but it's a collection of different manuscripts that, that tell a story. All the way from Genesis in the very beginning to Revelation in the end. And, and as the New Testament begins, there are four different accounts of the life of Jesus. Four accounts that give us four different pictures of, of who Jesus was and, and what Jesus did and what He was about. Now, two of these accounts don't say anything at all about the birth of Jesus. Mark begins with the ministry of John the Baptist. And and John, he gives this great theological spin on on who is coming and why and what it all means. But neither one of those actually speaks to to the birth of Jesus. You have to go and and read from Luke. You have to go and read from, from Matthew to find the coming of the Savior laid out in story form. Luke begins with an angel appearing to, appearing to Elizabeth, who is the, the aunt of Jesus, and talking about the coming of then of John the Baptist, and the angel goes to Mary, and, and then, then you have what is the customary Christmas story that Luke gives that we're going to talk more about next week. But Matthew, Matthew decides that he's going to go a totally different route. Matthew wants to tell you why Christmas, but in order to do so, he begins with a genealogy. Chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. And if you've ever just opened up your Bible and decided to start right here, you might have stopped before because you thought, you know, I, I don't like my own family, much less this guy's family because I can't pronounce any of their names. Says this is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac the father of Jacob, Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers. It's not that interesting, is it? You say, so why? Why, why, is it, why is it here? Well, Matthew understood that he was writing to a Jewish audience. And he's about to make the case that Jesus is the Messiah, their long-awaited Christ. And if he's going to convince Jews that Jesus is the Messiah, then he's going to have to answer the question, how is Jesus kin to David? Because God had said that there would be a descendant of David who would reign forever on David's throne. And if you're going to tell me that Jesus is the Messiah here walking around in a body, then you're going to have to be able to show me how he's connected to David. Because if he's not related to David, we're just not going to take him seriously. So Matthew decides to go with the big question first. And so he starts with a genealogy. But Matthew, in giving his genealogy to provide proof of Jesus' messiahship, he goes about it in a way that even though he's trying to show this divine lineage, it seems that he's undercutting his own argument because he begins to list people in the genealogy that at the very least are highly questionable. You see, histories during ancient times were written for the purpose of making the one that the history was being written about look good. So historians were actually hired by others to write their story. And they would write the story in a way that would make the ruler or would make the general or would make this particular leader look good. So oftentimes when you read ancient histories, you will read about a general's victories, but you won't see very much about his defeats. You hear all the things that a certain Caesar did that was positive and good, but not those things that were negative and questionable. In fact, when writing about the children of some leaders, you can read ancient histories and those children who grew up to do great things are listed, even though other children of the leader, other children of this great individual aren't even mentioned at all because they grew up and amounted to nothing. And so they were left out. It was the purpose of the genealogy to make the person that the genealogy was about look good. But Matthew steps out of the norm. And he does so to begin with by including the names of women. Now, ladies, I don't want you to get offended, but ancient genealogies were not supposed to have women listed. All right? I mean, if you're going to talk about how Jesus, the man, is connected to David, the man, then all you need to talk about are all the men that lead back from Jesus to David. We don't need to have any of the women talked about. At least that was the thinking. But Matthew goes a little different route. He gives us the name of four women. And two of these women really shouldn't have been mentioned. And and three out of the four aren't even Jewish women. And he goes out of his way to tell the readers that, listen, this Jewish Messiah that I'm about to tell you about, he doesn't have a pure bloodline. He's not true Jew. Chapter 1, verse 3. Judah, the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. Now there are some stories that you just don't hear about in church. And the story of Tamar is one of those stories. Now, I know by telling you that, some of you are going to right now begin to Google Tamar. And we have enacted our um, Wi-Fi password today so that you will not be able to Google certain names. So you can't find Judah, you can't find Tamar, and you're not going to be—it's in the Bible. You can look here in Genesis, you'll find it. But everybody who read this initially, they knew the story of Tamar. They knew what had taken place between her and Judah. And as this genealogy would be read, the children over here in the corner would whisper, he said Tamar. Judah, the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar, Perez, the father of Hezron, Hezron, the father of Ram, Ram the father of Abinadab, Aminadab, the father of Nashon, Nashon the father of Salmon, Salmon the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. And there's another woman. And she's not Jewish. Not only is she not Jewish, she has a nickname. And those of you who are church people, you were raised, you were knowing she's Rahab, the Harlequin romance novel character. Yeah, you you know that person, right? I mean, that's how you learned her. And there's no reason to bring her up. There's no reason to talk about her. There's no reason to include her in this list. And yet, that's exactly what Matthew does. And the Jewish readers are like, wow, I can't believe he's talking about Rahab. Verse 5. Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Now, Ruth, that's a good story. That's a good story. That story is actually also in your Bible. There is a a book in your Bible with the name of Ruth. It's in your Old Testament. But Ruth is not a Jew. She's from Moab. And as soon as I say Moab, I know you're all thinking about the the prophet Amos and, okay, no, maybe not. But anyway, she's not Jewish, all right? She's not Jewish. And for a Jewish person, they know that Ruth is not a Jew. And Matthew, he just keeps, it seems like taking these tangents, and he just keeps on going down these side roads. It's like, why do you keep throwing these women, and not just these these women that aren't Jewish, and these women that have so much baggage with them, why do you keep putting them in this story? It's not a good way to lead back to David. Speaking of David, now it's about to get really uncomfortable. Verse 5 Obed the father of Jesse and Jesse the father of King David there he is now we can just stop right there we got to David let's just but he goes further oh no David was the father of Solomon whose mother had been Uriah's wife he doesn't even mention the woman by name but everybody knew her name you know her name Who was Solomon's mother? Oh, you don't even say it out loud, real loud, do you? Bathsheba, that's what you said? It's not because you're in church, it's because she was Uriah's wife. That's what it says right there in your Bible. Doesn't say Bathsheba, he makes it even worse. She's another man's wife. And and the readers, they know this Old Testament history and they're wondering, why? Why are they even in here? Why are you bringing all this up? Because after all, Matthew, if you wanted to mention women, there were plenty of women that you can mention. I mean, there's a lot of women in Jesus' genealogy. You could have talked about Sarah. That's a good story. You could talk about Rebecca. Why not talk about Rebecca? That would be great. But no. Matthew has to talk about Tamar. Matthew has to bring up Rahab. Rahab and Ruth, and Solomon's mother, who was another man's wife. Now why in the world would he begin a message about Jesus like this? Here's what I think. Matthew had spent three years with Jesus. He had spent three years watching Jesus. He had spent three years listening to Jesus teach. He had spent time watching how that Jesus interacted with the least, And the greatest. He had spent time watching him debate those who were religious. He had seen the crucifixion. He had witnessed the empty tomb. And Matthew wanted everyone to know that before you can rejoice over the coming of the Messiah, you need to understand why the Messiah had to come in the first place. Matthew knew that all these shady characters, with all of their baggage and with all of their history and with all their stories that you don't talk about in church and with all the names that you do not say and with all the whispering that goes on, Matthew knew that the point of the story that he was about to tell was their story. He knew that sin was the issue that Jesus Came to address and that Jesus didn't just come for sinners. Matthew wanted all of everyone to know that Jesus came from sinners. He knew firsthand that Jesus' story is about light coming into darkness. Matthew understood that it was a story about life coming into an environment that had been characterized by death. He knew that it was a real story about grace breaking boundaries and breaking through walls of the old law. The reality was that the story of forgiveness, the story of forgiveness was coming to a world that only knew condemnation. And so to Matthew, the best way to start, to tell the story of Jesus, was to talk about individuals. Individuals who truly needed that story. Maybe the other thing that motivated him was the fact that, that their story was, was his story. Matthew gets to write his own story. It doesn't happen a lot, but it happened for him. You can turn over a few pages in your gospel to Matthew chapter 9. It's where the author of the gospel actually makes an appearance in his own work. Jesus had just gotten off a boat with his disciples. And there came some some men carrying their friend, and they brought their friend and laid him out before Jesus. And the friend, you could tell, he was sick, he was unable to walk, he needed some somebody, anybody that could provide healing for him. And Jesus sees the man, he sees the friends, he sees the crowd, and he looks at him and he says, Your sins are forgiven. And then perhaps he turns to walk away and those religious individuals who were always following him, the scribes, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, those that were always trying to figure Jesus out. What is this teacher? Who is he? He talks about righteousness one minute. He talks about upholding the law and then he breaks the traditions of our elders. What is he about? They're always following him, trying to catch him on something. And finally, they've got him. Because Jesus said, your sins are forgiven. And they say the only person who can forgive sins is God. Jesus, do you think that you're God? Because if so, they say, this is blasphemy. And Jesus responds and lets them know. And he says, my father has given me the authority to forgive sins. But if you don't believe me, and he looks at the man who is laying on the mat, and he says, "Why don't you get up and go home?" And the man stands up, and he picks up his mat. And I don't think he walks home. I think he runs home and he's high-fiving his buddies and he's hugging everybody that he comes in contact with and he's kicking up his heels and he's, he's reaching down and touching his legs and his ankles and watching his toes as they are wiggling around because there has been healing from the man who could forgive sin. And, and I don't think it's a coincidence. That when Matthew wants to tell his own story about the first time that he ever saw Jesus, the first time that they meet, he places this story right before their introduction. Because right after this, right after this man picks up his mat and leaves, you find that Jesus walks up to Matthew. And this was one of those situations where when Matthew has to tell the most embarrassing moment when he goes to the office Christmas party and it's his time to talk, he knows exactly what to share because it was the moment that he was there at the tax collector's booth when the rabbi Jesus comes walking up. Now to us, that doesn't really mean a lot because we don't understand. But when you read through your Bibles, you begin to notice there are two different designations given to people who were not righteous. They're either called sinners in your Bible or they're called tax collectors. Tax collectors were looked down so much that they weren't even grouped in with the other sinners. It was the sinners and the tax collectors. You see, Rome would give a five-year contract to an individual to collect taxes in their name. And you could go and collect taxes for Rome. As long as you sent Rome back the amount that they requested, you could keep any margin that you made for yourself. Now, imagine what it would be like then, somebody from Rome going to an area of Palestine and trying to collect taxes. You are not going to be the most revered person in the world. Somebody will steal your donkey. I mean, you are going to be hated. And so here's what they decide to do. All right, we're going to hire out Jews in Palestine to collect money from other Jews. Oh, and how do you think that went over? Matthew is reviled. Matthew is collecting money for an occupying power. He's taking from his family, from his countrymen. And because of that, and because of his dealings with these non-jewish gentiles he is unclean he is unable to participate in temple in sacrifice and he is ostracized from his family and faith community but hey the money was good and up walks jesus while he's sitting at the tax collector's booth and jesus had his followers behind him Peter, James, John, you know, the crew, they're walking. And maybe they were thinking themselves what they were going to say as they came up. Perhaps having to pay a tax. They had just got off the boat. And maybe they had to pay a tax in order to come on into the city. And they're coming up. And Jesus looks and he says, Matthew, why don't you follow us and walk with us for a while? And I don't know if Jesus had to look back behind him and say, hey, Peter, be quiet. Matthew... I want, you to, I want you to walk with us. I want you to be, to be one of us. Can you imagine what Peter and maybe some of the others was thinking? I mean, Jesus, we're already looked down upon. People already think that we're a bunch of wackos. What are they going to say if this tax collector comes to be a part of our group? But we know that when Jesus said, Matthew, why don't you follow me? that it says, Matthew decides, all right. I mean, maybe he had witnessed what had taken place with the man on the mat. Maybe he had heard Jesus say, Your sins are forgiven. All we know is that Matthew gets up and off they go. So where are we gonna go, Jesus? I don't know, Matthew. I thought we would go to your house. Peter. Now, Matthew, come on. Let's just go to your house and why don't you why don't you invite some of your friends? Now, this had to be Peter's worst day besides the day of his denial. I mean, not only now have they asked a tax collector to be a part of their group, but now Jesus is going to go to the tax collector's house and also all the tax collector's friends are going to come along. You continue reading the story. They go to Matthew's house. They sit down for a meal, and all the religious people crowd around to see what's happening because a rabbi is doing something that a rabbi is not supposed to do. And word comes to Jesus that these individuals are wondering why it is that Jesus is eating with tax collectors and sinners. And here's Jesus' response. He says, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. Now, if you were Matthew, would you be offended by that? I mean, if you were Matthew and you were sitting there eating with Jesus and you hear him say that, listen, I didn't come to be with healthy people. I came to be with sick people. Would you just get up? Would you throw the hummus back at Jesus and say, listen, I don't need any of this. I don't need all of your superficial rabbi talk. I thought you wanted to be my friend. I thought you wanted to spend time with me and my friends. You don't get that picture here, though. And I think it's because Matthew understood that he was sick. He understood in, in their environment, in their culture that he was not one that was considered righteous. He understood that he was not one that was considered holy. He knew he couldn't go to temple. He knew that his given name was Levi, which had great Old Testament significance. He understood the way that his own countrymen looked at him. And now here was this teacher, this Jewish rabbi, and this man says, listen, I'm here to be with the sick. Matthew got it. He was like, yeah, if it comes to me being righteous and being good, and you're right, I'm sick, I get it. Because you understand it too, right? Right? Because individuals who are far from God know that they're far from God. You know, even if you're somebody that doesn't believe in God, even if you're a person that says, I really don't understand this God thing, you understand just because of that belief, yeah, I'm not close with God. I get that. You understand it just from your own lifestyle and from some of the ways in which you've lived this last week. You understand what it means to be sick, to understand, yeah, I get what Jesus is saying. Jesus came for a certain group of people, and yeah, I'm not that person. I get it. He then sends word, Jesus does, that says, I want you to go and read your Bibles in the Old Testament, I want you to learn what this means, and we don't have time to go through this particular passage in Hosea, but he says, the Lord said, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. He then continues, and he says, I have, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. He says, I've come to call sinners. And I wonder if when Matthew was writing down his story, I wonder if for a moment he just stopped and he grinned as he thought about the reason that Jesus said that he had come. He said, I came for sinners. I came for for people who are not close to God. See, and that's the point. And that's why Matthew begins his gospel the way that he does. And that's why Matthew puts in that genealogy those different individuals that if you were to understand their story the way that their first audience understood that story, you would go, why did he put them in there? Because Matthew's point was that the story I'm about to tell Is their story. The story. Of sinners. Needing a savior. Why Christmas? Because we need to be reminded at Christmas time. That God. Drew near. To those. Who had drawn away. That God drew near to those. Who had been drawn away. That God drew near to those who had been dragged away. That God came for those who because of their own selfishness. Because of their own lust. Ran from God. That God drew near for those who had all kinds of baggage because their family line wasn't the best. And and yes, they've got alcoholics and they've got prostitutes and and, and they've got cursors and and they've got whatever label you want to give. It's all in the family. And God drew near to those who felt that they, because of their situation in life, had been dragged away. Matthew says, this is the point everybody is invited to the party you see there's this way of thinking that goes there are only a certain class or a certain group of people that get to be with god that get to be near jesus There's only a certain group and you have to, you have to think a certain way and and you've got to live a certain way and you've got to do certain things because in order to come before God, you have to come before him being good and being right and being someone who has always believed and someone who has never had doubts. But look, It says, today in the town of David, a Savior has been born. He is Messiah, the Lord. Why did there need to be a Savior? Because without Him, no one could be near to God. So if you're here this morning and and you've had this mindset that because you go to church— or because you grew up in church, because you memorized scripture and you got the gold stars in Sunday school, and because you have tried to raise your family in a way that honors God, and because you have always done what the church considered to be faithful, that because of those things, you have a good standing with God, then you need need to see Christmas from a new perspective. And you need to understand that it's not because of what you do, but it's because of what he did. And if you're an individual who's here this morning and you say, you know what? My family situation and my past history and the way that my people and ancestors and all the different stuff that comes out of my closet, I mean, it is just, it is ugly and it is dirty and it is unholy. And I can never be close to God. Then you need to understand it's not, it has nothing to do with what what you do. It has nothing to do with what your mom or your dad did. But it has everything to do with what Jesus did. You need to see Christmas anew for the first time. And be reminded that when the celebration begins and when the ugly sweaters get pulled out of the closet and when everyone gets together to celebrate Christmas, That you have been invited to the party. That's the point of the genealogy. That's the point of Matthew telling his story. And that's why Christmas is so important. Because each and every Christmas, I'm reminded that a Savior has been born. And that I get to be a part of the party. That celebrates Jesus. Would you pray with me, please? Father, I wish that we understood more fully just how awesome of an event your coming truly was. I wish we could see our sin more clearly. And I wish we could get past our own self-righteousness. And I wish we could get past all of our guilt and the baggage that we oftentimes bring to the table. And I wish that we could get past some of the, the questions that just gnaw at us over and over. And just be able to see the coming of Jesus as the incredible event that it was and realize that the world still needs a Savior. Father, in order for us to celebrate, we need to be crystal clear why Jesus' coming was even needed. And so I ask that our hearts be broken. I ask that the walls be torn down. That we might be able to understand and see more clearly the need that we have for you and the incredible link that you went to draw near to us. Father, I'm thankful for each and every person here for those who have grown up all their life and in some way have, have known you, have some way have worshipped and served you, I'm thankful for the person that's here that has questions and wonders, why Christmas and why Jesus and, and why such the big deal. I'm thankful for the person here whose family background is not crystal clear. That's not pure. That's not holy. I'm thankful for the person who's here this morning who's struggling and who's doing the best they can to follow in your footsteps. Father, I'm thankful for the person who's here that's angry because of circumstances this last year. Because we've all been drawn here to this place together right here at this time so that we might be able to hear perhaps this message and to be reminded that you drew near to those who for whatever reason have drawn away from you. We thank you for coming near. And I pray that your presence will be with us all. Not only in this month, but in each month of our life. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. We're gonna sing a song of encouragement together that talks about what the Lord has done for me. And maybe you're just in a celebratory mood and you would like to come as some has before and say, you know what? I just want to praise God this morning and let everybody know how thankful I am for the gift of Jesus Christ. We'd love for you to come to the front. Just let that be known. Or maybe you need to come today saying, you know, I've got questions and I'd love to talk more about who Jesus is and what this coming meant. We'd love to be able to share that opportunity with you. Maybe you have already been studying about the life of Jesus' his teachings. You understand your need for a Savior. And you'd like to be baptized into Christ this morning because you want to give yourself over to Him and enjoy the salvation that only comes from being in Christ. Whatever your need might be, draw near to Him. For through Jesus, He is drawn near to you. Let's stand and sing.